Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Audra Emerson, and I am thrilled to welcome our guest today, Erin Reynolds, to her next play, Power Chat Podcast. Erin is Vice President of Sales at Whitehall Specialties. During her 20-year career in sales and marketing, Erin has held executive positions at the Kraft Heinz Company, where she was head of sales for national accounts, as well as numerous leadership roles during her 12 years at General Mills. Erin was a three-sport collegiate athlete. She played basketball, soccer, and softball at Drew University, where she graduated with a degree in psychology. Erin also went on to get an MBA at NYU Stern School of Business. Erin, thank you for being on the podcast. I knew you were an overachiever, but three sports in college? Wow, I have so many questions about that. But first, tell me how you got into sports. Oh, gosh, it's so long ago. I don't even think it was a choice or a conscious choice. I I remember growing up, I had an older sister and I had um, a lot of energy and had no interest in picking up a paintbrush or a musical instrument. I still don't. And it was pretty uh, natural for me to just start playing games outside as a young, young child. And then I really quickly um, moved into sports to organize sports and um, got bored quickly. So moved on to the next sport in the next season and um, really enjoyed learning new, new skills and new, new rules and, um, and just doing that over and over again. Well, in college, you had to have some exceptional time management skills because uh, that is challenging to have one sport and uh, be a student athlete. How did you manage three? I didn't really think of it at the time as this skill. I've later in life heard that comment, which I appreciate, but I didn't think of it as something that was hard. In my mind, there were so many hours in the day and I had plenty of time. And as you know, there are some days where you have class, I don't know, 10 a.m. and maybe another one at two. And what else would I be doing the rest of the day besides studying and hanging out with friends? And so I just like to be busy. And um, I I like to, I knew it was an option in Division three setting. And so I took advantage of it. And I, I think I mentioned I, I didn't watch a lot of TV. I still don't. So I have not I don't know any Seinfeld references. I don't really know friends, but uh, but I have a lot of uh, experiences on the court and on the field, and I wouldn't trade it. So um, I love that. I don't, now, yeah. you made, I'm sorry, you made a conscious decision, right, to go Division three so that you could play all three and not have to specialize, right? Absolutely. So the, the short answer is that I just couldn't make up my mind. And that went back, and I still can't. Uh, I keep the tags on all my clothes because I might change my mind and return it. <laughs> and um, I didn't name my children for a few days just in case. Uh, I have no tattoos because I don't want that kind of commitment. And I, 
I wasn't really given the force to make a decision, to choose a sport, to specialize the way we see now. I think that um, at the time, and we're going back to the 80s and 90s, and, and there were AAU and there were plenty of occasions to play sports. It was a different time, but it wasn't that different in the sense that I, I was on five teams at one time, five basketball teams at one time, I remember, between AAU and, and school leagues and town leagues and um, all-star leagues. But um, I, I love them all for different reasons. And I didn't, I didn't have to choose. I wasn't a pitcher or anything that really required this 12-month commitment. Sure, I probably would have been much better at one of them had I specialized, but I didn't want to choose. And uh, with each sport brought a new set of friends, new social circles, new, new challenges. And I found that um, I really enjoyed that process and, and, um, and carried that through all the way to college. I mean, the trend right now is obviously within youth sports, it is early specialization. So you talk about having a little bit of that variety and enjoying and playing with different teammates and the like, but what are your thoughts as you see this sort of direction that youth sports is going in that early specialization trend? Absolutely, there's pros and cons. For one, I think with specialization comes a higher level of excellence, just focusing on, we always hear the expression practice makes perfect, uh, which obviously isn't the case, but I was always told that the right practice makes perfect. You know, you could just go out and wing in, you know, put in half effort and then you're just not going to get better. And I think that there's um, now there's uh, not only just the sports skills gained from specialization, but um, the networking and the entire uh, focus around getting your name out there and and there could be scholarship money down the road which is important and as you graduate and take on loans and then take on grad school loans you know how important scholarships can be and so by all means i think there's real benefit in specializing for that purpose uh, on the other hand i think there's high risk for um, burnout i've seen a lot of athletes spend so much time um, in the sport that they may have chosen because their parents wanted them to choose that sport or they, they used to like it. They really did, but now they don't, but that's kind of what they do now. And that's their circle. And before you know it, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I am a hockey player, but I don't identify with that. And I think that happens in careers too. You see it happen. Like suddenly you're, you're an accountant, you're in accounting or something. And, you're, you don't even know how that happened. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah. So I find that when, um, I, I think it's just an individual, like so many choices. And I, I think that it comes down to um, openness to realizing that you're going to maybe not be the top of the team on all three sports, but that's okay. Because uh, it's a constant evolution playing a different role on a different team, you know, can really be a life lesson that you carry through. And I think at Her Next Play, we are super passionate about those leadership skills and those life skills that are developed through sports. So tell me, as you think back at your collegiate sort of athletic career, what type of leader were you, you know, on the court or 
in your case, the field, the diamond, <laughs> and how did that really help you develop into the leader that you are today? Absolutely. I think, again, not something that I really even knew was going to translate so much. And as I shaped into a young adult and now an adult and a leader, uh, I think teamwork is is a major uh, component to all organizations and successful leaders. I love uh, the fact that I've that I'm able to leverage and, and talk about times where I had to work with a team, on a team, maybe a team of new people, maybe a team of uh, girls with uh, skill sets that were different than mine or complementary to mine. And so teamwork is a big one, but I think that uh, results, focus on the focus on results is such an important lesson that you learn on the, on the, court and on the field, that's such a business lesson. And one of my, um, well, my first leadership principle is excellence always. So that just kind of speaks volumes around who I am and, and how I live. The second one is uh, results matter. And so it's great to do things and develop. And I'm really big on personal development, people development, team building. But at the end of the day, we have a job to be done and that's to typically to deliver bottom line results uh, to companies. Um, the last one is um, people first. Uh, and so I think all of those uh, leadership principles that I have is um, are uh, ones that I learned on the, in the, in my sports uh, background. When you were, a collegiate athlete and in college, did you have any idea that this is where you would be, that this is what you wanted to do, or how did you sort of figure out your path? I was probably the last person in my sophomore year to declare my major. I got a call. I may have even waited until junior year. Uh, first semester, I was probably past the deadline, knowing me. And the dean basically said, you have to declare today. And I literally said, what are the choices? And I was 20 years old. And I, I've met young women in, I guess, they're boys and girls who are in their young teens who know uh, exactly what they want to do. And I give them so much credit. But I wasn't there. And I, I didn't connect with any career that I was aware of. And sales gets really under, under marketed sales. I, I don't know if you feel the same, but sales is always considered like either a car salesman or a door to door salesman. Or, and that's what I thought sales was. And I thought, oh, well, I don't know if that's really all this schooling. I'm taking uh, chemistry and uh, psychology classes and French classes. It's not really going to help me in sales. Um, so I majored in psychology because the choices were behavioral science and psychology. That is what I had the most credits towards. So behavioral science, I didn't even know what that meant. Psychology was people and, and behavior, and I connected with that. I like people. And so I majored in psychology. But uh, I do meet a lot of folks in sales, maybe not a lot, but several of my um, key mentors 
have majored in psychology and I think that um, I, I am glad that I majored in that because it did give me an understanding of the human um, <laughs> psyche. However, even when you declare your major, you still don't know what you want to be. <laughs> what does that mean? A psychologist, <laughs> a PhD. So I did not even think of sales until I, uh, well, I, I, my first job out of college, I, I still kind of was delaying big girl decisions and I got a job. I, had a, I was at a printing company. We printed menus for airlines, which was a thing back then and those magazines that you read uh in the pockets of the the seat back which are probably all going to be gone now but um in any event that was my first job out of college and it i was an account manager for two airlines it was fun i worked with chefs i um, created menus with them i we had translators on international routes but it really it, it wasn't going anywhere so I wanted to um, practice my interviewing skills. I'd only been on one interview and I got the job, which is great. I don't like to lose. I, I'm a batting average 1,000, but I only went, I, that's not a lot of, <laughs> it's like one for one. It's great, but not a lot of base. So I, I knew I wanted to uh, practice my interviewing and I saw an ad in the newspaper for a sales role, a bread sales role in New York City. I live really close to Manhattan. I grew up in New Jersey. And I went on a quote unquote practice interview, crossed the parking lot was this bread company. And it was sounded fun, but I really didn't want the job. I just wanted to practice what an interview would be like. And so I got, I changed in my car into a suit and I went in and I talked to the president of the company and he really made understand what sales could look like at that level and what the opportunity was uh and and this so i left the interview thinking hmm that sounds fun i don't have to sit at a desk all day uh i get to talk yeah. to so many different people i get to make decisions uh i get to work cross-functionally with the innovation team creating new products uh i like food i'm selling food i like bread uh this I get a company car. I, uh, what else? I got a cell phone, probably didn't work very well, but um, this was 1999. I needed to stand on a roof with a hanger, uh, but I, I ended up taking the job and I've never looked back and I've been in sales ever since and I've been in food sales ever since. And so I created this career for an industry niche for myself without really understanding uh, how or why, but it, it fits me perfectly. And, uh, and the food industry and the food service industry, particularly where I am, is a very um, unknown space to people who go to restaurants and go to schools and go to hotels and eat and have no concept of how all of the food gets there. Yeah, explain that. Yeah, explain that a little bit. Like, you know, B2B sales. And I think people hear that, right? But, you know, what does business to business sales mean? And give us a sense for some of the work that you do. Okay, so I am, uh, okay, so currently I'm in a more general role, but I, I lead a team of sales directors uh, that call on accounts any 
where from an industrial account, such as the uh, Nestle, Kellogg's, General Mills, manufacturers of food, um, that would be the most upstream type of business to business relationship um, to restaurants, to chains like Burger King and Wendy's and Panera. Um, and then we sell to distributors who distribute food to local restaurants like Red Cow or anything like that. Um, and so depending on, yeah, the size of the account and the level of detail around the project, we, uh, uh, and we sell uh, also to retailers, um, of course, but, uh, but my, most of my experience has been in the food service. So what skills make you a good salesperson, um, make you, successful throughout your career and of those how many do you tie back to things you learned through sport great questions i think follow-up is such an underrated competency and it's not even a competency it's a it's a it's a tactic really um so that's just fundamental i find so many of us we prepare for the big meeting the presentation done great i exhale yeah well, that's when the work begins um so i think that uh follow-up and you know tying that back to uh to sports it's, it's almost like offense defense right like i loved offense i was cherry i was available for the for the fast court break because i wasn't rebounding you know uh i would be there <laughs> ready for you to throw it down court and i'll make that layup and i would score you know, couple laps game, 12 points a game and eight of them probably be on fast break. But um, I, there's two, you know, you have to play a balanced game, a balanced sales approach. And so follow-up is key. Um, the ability to, to make hard decisions and deliver tough news. To me, that my career, mm. my most successful sales uh, leaders on my team are the ones that face the music and they understand that the company goals as well as the customer goals. Cause it's so easy to get wrapped up in the customer goals because essentially you're talking with them and interacting with the customers more than you are your own company. And so it's often easy to forget the organizational goals and how your role is critical to achieving them versus helping the customer achieve their goals. Cause that's what you want to do. But there's a degree of separation where you have to yep. continue to relay the message of the company. Sometimes you're going to agree with it and those messages are easier. And if you don't, those messages are harder, but there's a time when you need to do that. Um, I always say that bad news is not like wine. It doesn't get better with age. So whatever you're calling for, just you got to just call and, and say it. So, Hey, Mr. Customer, uh, hopefully you know their name by then, but we're we're going to short your order. Hey, we had a quality um, issue on this product. We're going to have to uh, reproduce. We're having a price increase. I mean, these are not fun calls. Everyone thinks sales is like this real social party and we go out and we have dinners and there's some of that. Absolutely. But it's pretty lonely at times and there's tough conversations at times. You're losing business and and so... So really resilience and, and um, try to think of it like the weather, you know, on those rainy days, you just kind of feel down and, and you're going to have those days at work and in sales, but it's, um, 
picking up um you know when the sun comes out and the sunny days come i mean you're on top of the world and it's just like closing that sale it's like hitting that shot shooting that goal those are the times when um they pick you up again and and knowing and being okay with the fact that there's ebbs and flows that resilience is really hard to teach and some folks on the team who aren't as successful they really swirl in the um in those bad times and in those times where they disagree and there's no point in spending energy on it when you can't change it. There is a reason that salespeople make come oftentimes come from an athletic background. And I think it is for that resiliency factor that you talked about. And then understanding how to be part of a team, play part of a team, you know, some of those things, but there's so many transferable skills, I think, yeah. particularly into sales. You've worked for large fortune elite, fortune 50 companies with General Mills, with Kraft Heinz company. And now you work for, you know, a smaller Whitehall. What are the pros and cons there? You get to play a larger role. It sounds I like. Do, yeah. And, and some of that is my evolution over time, which has helped me get to that point. But I, I started a small company, I went to a big company, and then I went to a bigger company, and now I'm back at a smaller company. I, I think big companies have really great uh, development programs. They're highly organized, typically. Uh, there's a lot of uh, people around you that you can learn from, that you can teach. But uh, there's times where it may feel like you're getting handed the playbook down and you don't have input upstream into the way that strategy is being built and it's, again it all depends on your level um, but you're further away from the action as i would say you're further down the bench where the coach looks down and maybe you're up by 20 in the fourth quarter and puts you in the game but maybe not until senior night um which is okay smaller company i report to the ceo i'm responsible for the entire sales <laughs> every dollar of sales that goes through is I'm responsible for. And so I'm going to lose business and hope, and I'm going to gain business. Um, and I need to, I need to manage my team, their expectations and goals. I need to manage, um, my, my peers and help them support the commercial efforts, um, and understand our capabilities from an R and D standpoint, from an operational standpoint, from a quality standpoint, um, and I also need to really communicate well to my boss, who's the CEO of the company, who is pretty busy. And so I really have to respect um, my role in the sense that I am his only link to sales. And that is critical in the sense that it's it's our revenue stream. It's if, if no sales, there's no right. money. And it, I it's a lot of responsibility, um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. There's not a safety net to fall back on. It's, it's, and I, uh, it's as close as I've ever come to playing. We didn't talk about team sports versus individual sports. I didn't play any individual sports, but I, I can't amount, imagine that kind of pressure that athletes that are runners and divers and swimmers and these individual sports where the pressure is on you and you're on a team but they really don't impact your performance on that day. And they, uh, it's a different 
different set of roles. And so it's similar in my role now, and I have a team, uh, but my, my butt is <laughs> performing. Um, that's on me. And so you have to yep. understand that. You talked about the large companies sort of having that sort of more opportunity in terms of maybe some leadership development, you know, LDPs as we call them, but those formal, right, leadership development programs. Um, and you developed really quickly, moved up quickly when you were at General Mills. Every year and a half, two years, you were promoted onto another group, onto a larger challenge. And as you're going through that and obviously benefiting from some of those leadership opportunities, you went back and got your master's degree. And that surprised me a little bit because it looked like, you know, outside looking in, you're on the fast track already. So for you, why get the master's? Or if someone else is considering master's, maybe they can learn from your motivation and experience. Yeah, I... I felt like I had more time in my day, probably because I had been used to filling every minute, waking minute of the day. And I, I wanted to do something. I wanted to have a hobby or a challenge. I, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And, and I got to a point where I was going to become a personal trainer, certified, or okay. I was going to get my MBA. So totally different. <laughs> But that's how that's how I operate. Like they don't have to be similar. Um, they just have to be options. The reason why the MBA even came to to fruition is because there were others around me that had MBAs who were better than me, and who were talked uh, more profoundly, who used different terminology, and who saw the bigger picture. Who had the foresight to anticipate problems and react and i didn't know if it was just them and the general mills development program uh, or if it was an mba program or some magical combination of all of it which probably was and so i realized that although it'd be fun to be a personal trainer um i wanted to have something that i achieved um that i used for my own development with in my career and that no one could take away from me. And it is, uh, it was a really great experience. Uh, and I'm so glad that I made that choice because uh, I, I'm, I learned from all of those experiences, mostly even being able to work with others. The beauty of grad school, in my opinion, one of them is that Unlike undergrad, you're working on teams. Um, there's a lot of projects, group projects, and you get the benefit of working with people in so many different fields that have real life career experience to leverage and lean on. Yeah. You sound like throughout your career, you're a little bit of a student of life. I mean, you're taking note and observing and listening and learning from everyone around you all the time. Uh, we, we always say uh, you need to be a student of your business. Um, and so I've, I've never heard the student of life, but I thank you. I, I think so. I'm curious for sure. Uh, and I, I like to constantly learn within reason. I do have my boundaries. I don't want to learn about everything, but, uh, but yeah, I, I love to, I think listening, we didn't talk about listening 
okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, listening is so important. That's probably the number one. I said teamwork is the number one skill learned in sports, but I say listening. And um, and it's listening to customers, listening to peers, listening to the industry, to the environment. What's going on right now? I mean, right now we're in such a different environment. You have to listen and listen means more than just listening. You know, it's watching and paying attention. And, um, and I wish I had listened more as a young, as an athlete. <laughs> uh, I had a lot to say, but uh, listening would have served me better and took some maturity to admit that. But I, it's not just listening and hearing it. It's, it's responding to what you Year and, and making it actionable. Ah, that's a good distinction. You talk about kind of the times that we're in, and it is obviously unprecedented on so many different levels. But um, the down employment market, in light of you know COVID nineteen, this group of college student athletes are graduating into an extremely tough job market. And given your experiences securing positions, um, hiring staff members, you know, what advice do you have for those new grads as they try to go out and navigate during this tough time? Absolutely. I would say reach out, reach out, reach out, follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. You are never, ever, ever pestering someone by sending them an email or calling them. I guarantee it. I promise you. I hear so many times and I, and especially women, and especially in the Midwest, and I'm not trying to generalize, but it's my experience, I get, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, I have a delete button that I can use. You're not bothering me. And in fact, the person that is pestering me, that's the person I want on my team because they are not going to give up and they are going to find me. And contrary to our belief, we are not the only thing. And when you were job searching, that is the only thing on your mind. It controls your life. It should. It's, it's, you need to get a job. Um, but them filling that position is not the first thing on their mind. And it's definitely not the only thing on their mind. And so reaching out more than you think is appropriate <laughs> is, is, is critical. And that, again, is not seen as a as a pestering move. It's seen as someone who's hungry, aggressive, and really wants to work with you or, or learn more. And and it's got to be a two way fit. And so I I always give the person who um, if all things were created equal, the one that texts me five times and send me LinkedIn message and calls me. That's the person that I want to help. And that's the person that I want on my team because that's the person that's not going to let me down. You know, it's, um, it's skill versus will. If skill is even, you know, you got the same resume, you got the same internship, you got the same sports. Well, who wants it more? That's the one. And that's the person who makes the team. Uh, I just can't, I can't underscore enough the importance of picking up the phone. We all have them and calling and if you don't have someone's number find a way to get a hold of them and network call me call your neighbor reach out find out oh wait a minute talk, talk about what you're doing so that more than likely 
you're only a few degrees of separation from someone that can really change your life and your career. You just got to be open and confident around what you're trying to accomplish. And you may not know exactly, but again, if, if you're asking for help, someone's going to want to help you. That's great advice. And I always say never, ever, ever underestimate people's interest in helping a new grad, especially. I mean, we were all there, right? We were all finding our way, stumbling through, figuring it out, um, making a decision, finding out it was wrong, pivoting. Like, so people want to help you because they've been there. So I love, you've had a few really good, you know, skill versus will and a few great statements. Um, you once told me that pepper, preparation plus discipline equals success. Can you explain to me that philosophy and how it's really played out for your career or your life? Yeah, we talked about practicing and uh, I think that a lot of times people mistake motivation um, for discipline or discipline for motivation. It's not about the motivation. Um, and we can talk about um, my current hobbies and I, I love exercise, but when I wake up, some days I'm not motivated, <laughs> but I'm disciplined. <laughs> so I do it. Um, it's, it's just like your job. There's, you don't wake up. Mo I am so motivated to go to work today. There's a, you just do it because you almost like you have to. It's, and there's things that you need to create disciplines for, uh, without making, which no excuse would stand in the way of. No, you're not, Audra's not going to say, I can't pick up my kids from school because I don't, I'm not motivated. Oh, it's a discipline. You just do it. It's your responsibility to, as, as your mom. Right. Um, but I think, again, um, you have to put in the work. You have to prepare. You have to practice. You have to uh, rehearse your, your presentation with, and, and at the right um, level, too. You, know, you can't over-prepare. Uh, and I do think that there is a level where getting sleep and making sure that you're spending time doing other things is, is critical. Um, but it's taking that preparation, combining with the discipline, um, not the motivation, <laughs> but the, the discipline to stick to your schedule and check your checklist off and do the things that you want to do um, or, or have to do rather, not want to do. And that's, um, that's just part of a, a plan. And it, and it comes over time. And I'm still, I still struggle um, creating checklists. I'm not a checklist person. And I wish I were. I love it when I see these people who have highlighters and um, special coding <laughs> systems. I love it. It's not me. Uh, I have the discipline to do my work. I get it done. Uh, but I, there's still ways that I try to develop uh, as a as a leader, as an executive. I learn from others, um, and I I I apply it. All right. Well, so now we're gonna go through the uh, rapid fire question portion of our podcast. So I've uh, got a few rapid fire questions for you, but um, who is your favorite female athlete? Sue Bird. What is your favorite sports team? The New York Giants. Favorite Olympic sport? Probably swimming. Well, this has just been fantastic and I can't thank you enough for taking the time telling your story and helping other people learn and grow through that story. It's just fantastic. So I really appreciate you being Thanks, Audra. I had fun. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. 
You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our Booster Club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.